Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. You're listening to the Illegal Motion College Football Podcast. If you want to get in touch with the show, email us at IllegalMotionPodcast at gmail.com and follow us on Twitter at Illegal underscore Motion. Thanks for downloading. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Illegal Motion College Football Podcast. Back in Los Angeles, I'm the professor, Matt Perkins. And joining us from Nashville, Tennessee, straight out of the film room, it's the coach, Corey Burton. What's going on, gentlemen? Uh, very productive day today. Uh, looking forward to an action-packed show, coaching carousel things. Always get me fired up because, of course, I'm the coach. And uh, coaching movement really intrigues me. So got an action-packed show, championship weekend so got lots to talk about all right all right well uh we would be remiss if we did not introduce the third member um of our of our trio in the second city a man who is greatly awaiting his first trip to indianapolis it's our intrepid blogger josh cook oh yeah yep heading down to indy first time i've ever been there heard good things about the city we're staying near lucas oil really really excited to see it I have never been Ooh, that'll be to a uh, pro stadium that's good. The only pro stadiums I've been to, pro football stadiums, are where the Chargers play and where the Dolphins play. Ooh, I'm sorry. Yeah. Now, obviously, you've never been to the Georgia Dome. I have not. <laughs> that's not that special. Honestly. Yeah. <laughs> I've heard uh, very mediocre reviews. Yep. That would be that would be uh, being nice. <laughs> <laughs> well, we will get to what's happening um, down at Lucas Oil Field and at the Georgia Dome this weekend in a little bit. Uh, but first, um, a little bit of uh, change pace this week uh, with the conference championship games and the big uh, uh, coaching carousel. Uh, we're going to sort of be splitting the show up into a couple different parts. Uh, here in part one, we're going to take a look at all the championships game this weekend. So we're going to start with the group of five. And the group of five, um, we're going to start alphabetically and go with uh, the title game in the American. That's yeah. convenient. Oh, yeah, of course. Well, you know, <laughs> I, I'm back. So, you know, I mean, you guys mentioned at the end of the last episode that you missed out on 40 minutes of, of AAC talk. Well, guess what, boys? I'm back and ready to go. <laughs> Um, so, uh, the AAC title game, um, is being held this weekend in, in Houston, um, and where Temple is heading down to take on the number 22 Temple, I should say, take on number 19 Houston. Um, obviously it's, uh, you know, the story of the game is Temple's defense versus Houston, Houston's offense. Um, Greg Ward Jr. is back and rolling. So, uh, Josh, I'll throw it to you first. I know you really like this Owl team. So what, what do you think they can do to take apart this uh, – or slow down, I should say, this Houston attack? Well, they get after you with their, their front seven. We know they had 10 sacks in their season opener against Penn State. They've really, really continued doing that. I like how they've responded well. They, they got their butts handed to them at South Florida maybe – Maybe got a little overconfident. Maybe maybe they were reading some of their own headlines and it bit them. And since then, they beat Memphis, they beat Connecticut, both are bull-bound teams, and gave up a combined 15 points in those games. But honestly, I'm going to go back to what I set up with Houston a few weeks ago when we previewed that Memphis game. Everyone talks about their offense. 
They're 22nd in defense at 21 points per game allowed. And Temple is at 18.8, 16th in the country. This Houston team is unbelievably balanced. They have been holding teams really to low scoring outside of Navy and Memphis. They've done a really good job of, of holding people down. And, hey, I know it's Vanderbilt, but they shut out an SEC team. So um, I'm going to go with Houston winning, not just because of Greg Ward Jr., but that Cougars defense is good. Yeah, I mean, you, you couldn't have said it better uh, yourself, Josh, there. I, I like I like how balanced Tom Herman has this team. I think he's playing – obviously, he's playing great offense. Greg Ward Jr. His, uh, is a special type of quarterback. He's completed 69% of his passes for 2,500 yards, 16 touchdowns, five interceptions. you got to love that ratio. He's also rushed for almost 1,000, too, so he's, he's getting it done on the ground. Um and I, I think he's gonna. I think he's gonna make the difference. I, I think he, he's he's the type of guy that can, you know, exploit Temple's defense a little bit. I think he's gonna make. You know, I think he's gonna keep Temple's defense off balance all night long with uh, with his throwing ability and his running ability. And, and I think he's gonna he's gonna get the job done. Uh, Temple, they're a great team. They had a great run. I just don't think they they have enough in the, in the tank to beat Houston. Yeah, I'd be, I'd be surprised. You know, I think they've started to sputter a little bit here at the end, offensively. I mean, you still get uh, Jahat Thomas, uh, you know, rolling on the ground, and you know, they can eat up a lot of clock and use that defense to slow you down. But uh, you're right. I think uh, Josh, you, you mentioned that, um, you know, the loss that. Uh, the loss they sustained really sort of woke them up. And I think, you know, when the, in UConn, no one thinks, no one thought they were going to lose to UConn, but that really woke them up. And they are playing like a different football team ever since then. So I think that sounds like we're all going to be, uh, we, we all think that it's the Cougars to lose this weekend. Yeah. 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 Plus, they're, plus they're at home. I mean, that you can't dismiss that either. Yeah, absolutely not. That That's, you know, that's huge for them. Um, so, all right, well, let's, uh, let's move on and we'll head to the Mac and, uh, where we have Bowling Green taking on Northern Illinois, uh, in Detroit at Ford Field, another pro stadium, which I've heard actually decent things about. So, um, you know, Josh, you, you've got a little bit more of a pulse in the Mac than the other two of us do. Um, but you know, er everything we hear out of the Mac is about Bowling Green's, uh, really prolific offense led by Matt Johnson. Yeah, I mean, they're the headlining act. Um, the, the thing that kind of got a little disappointing for me from for this game, and, um, you know, hats off to Northern Illinois. They, they won their division fair and square, but, um, yeah, they lost at the end of the season, and that should have let Toledo go, but then Toledo had an upset, and with their coaching news, we'll get to. Maybe their head wasn't in it, but... Northern is really banged up. They are reportedly starting a walk-on freshman quarterback in the title game. And the Huskies have a really strong defense, but you know Bowling Green can put up a number, and I doubt a walk-on freshman can match it. So it, it, it kind of takes some of the luster out of this game for me. It would have been fun to see a full-strength Northern team or Toledo take on this high-flying Falcon team, but I don't think we're going to get that. I expect the Falcons to win. Yeah, it kind of puts a damper on on things, and, uh, you know, you hate to see that, and you hate to see, you know, a game that could have been 
really exciting. You know, maybe it still will be. Who knows? But you know, the one the one chance I got to see Bowling Green, the one chance I watched Bowling Green was uh, at the start of the year when they played Tennessee in a game that got weather delayed. And I was I remember walking away thinking one of two things: either Tennessee's defense is horrendous again this year, or Bowling Green can can play some offense. They can move the ball and score some points. And you know, you're starting to see that. Tennessee's defense isn't so bad, and Bowling Green really can light up the scoreboard. and And, and they've been, uh, you know, they've been impressive all year. Dino Babers obviously up for some uh, for some jobs in the coaching carousel that we'll get to here in a little bit. Um, he's linked most directly with Syracuse. Um, before I get off on a tangent, I'll, I'll come back to that. But he must uh, love orange. He must, you know, he must love orange. But you know, I I think this game just got a little bit easier for Bowling Green. Um, I think they're just their offense is going to be too much. They're going to score. Um, they're going to score early. They're going to score often, and defense is really not going to matter in this contest. Yeah, it's you know I this is uh, you know the unfortunate thing about all those injuries that you mentioned, Josh, is that you know this game has a potential to be a blowout at halftime, and you know you never want to see that in a championship game. You want to see you know like you said, both teams at full strength, and you know. We're all expecting uh, Bowling Green to sort of run away with this one. Um, so, you know, it's, it's you know, I, it would have been nice to see Toledo in this spot because I think that they've had, um, I think they're a little bit more talented than this Northern team is. But, um, you know, it's, you know, th- that's sort of the way the cookie crumbles, I guess, sometimes with, with these divisions and whatnot. So, um, moving on to the Mountain West title game, um, the Falcons of Air Force uh, will be taking on San Diego State um, down at uh, at the home of the Aztecs in San Diego. So, um, Josh, uh, you know, San Diego State is sort of the, um, you know, they started out their year really slow, uh, one and three, and then they ran the table in conference. Yeah, I mean, you said it perfectly. A very weird season. They had kind of an unimpressive win over USD, their uh, FCS, not rival, but, you know, fellow San Diego area FCS school, and then smoked by Cal, um, lost a head-scratcher at home to South Alabama, a sub-500 Sunbelt team, and then played all right in a – two-score loss at Penn State, and then they woke up. Um, It's been strange. Uh, Air Force had a much harder schedule. They traveled to Michigan State and Navy, um, lost both those games. Both were kind of close at times, but um, SDSU is just peaking, and I think their last week was a really good example. So, Air Force knocks off Boise State to basically clinch the division and then flatlines at New Mexico and was just really disinterested. San Diego had this thing wrapped up weeks ago and has just kept churning and churning. Uh, They murdered UNLV. They punished Nevada. This SDSU team is just – they're clicking at the right time. They're coming alive. They've been just – blowing out the competition down the stretch, including winning at Colorado State 41-17, a team that Air Force lost to. They're at home. Um, you know that Navy base is going to love going to that game, rooting against their 
arch rivals in the Commander's Cup. Uh, I, I think that, or Commander's Trophy, I think that SDSU wins this in a tight one. Um, but like you said, Matt, I just love how they're, they're coming alive right now down the stretch. Yeah, they got hot at the right time, Josh. Um, and that goes a long way. You know, it, I'll use the NFL as an example. There's been several years, and I think there was a streak at some point where the, uh, the wild card team that had to fight and claw their way to get in was the one that ended up winning the Super Bowl. Yeah, five from the sixth seed, something like that. Yeah, and and then and uh, you know those teams are usually playing better than the one seeds who've been who've been coasting along. So, you know, it, it's it's kind of you know for Air Force, they're a talented team. The system they run is is good. Everything you know, every, everything you like in a football team, Air Force can give you. Um, a couple of head scratching losses. Uh, same with San Diego State. Um, so this is probably the weirdest game of the weekend. So I wouldn't be surprised if any if Air Force blew them out. Wouldn't wouldn't shock me if San Diego State blew out Air Force. Wouldn't shock me if there was a weird controversial play. That's probably <laughs> going to come down to I think San Diego State's going to win on some odd, weird, controversial call that that the referee just wasn't sure about and just kind of had to guess. But, you know, I think my basis for them is they're just, you know, just the way they've been playing lately, you know, something to be said for, for a team that's, that's on a hot streak. Um, they've got a lot of confidence about – they feel really good about themselves. And uh, they've, they've kind of made up for that, uh, that horrendous start and some of those baffling head-scratching losses. Absolutely, yeah. And, Coach, we, it's the year of the running back. Do you yeah. know the State's running back? Donnell Pumphrey is awesome. Donnell yeah. Earl of Pumphrey, he is having himself a season, 1,464 yards, 16 touchdowns so far. Um, so, you know, I, I think we're going to see a lot of running in this game, and, you and know, that'll be fun. Yeah, and, I mean, um, it's just an advantageous matchup for the Aztecs because as good as Air Force is, they're not a particularly big team because they're a service academy. You can't have huge lines. And so that's why Air Force runs the option. That's why Air Force tries to spread you out. It plays to SDSU's strength to load up, run a power running game, and just have Pomfrey go off. And I'm not sure Air Force can really respond to that. Yeah, definitely not. Definitely not. Um, so, well, let, let's move on to the final Group of Five title game, uh, the uh, the CUSA title game, Conference USA. Um, the Mustard Buzzards of Southern Miss are taking on uh, Western Kentucky Hilltoppers. Um, you know, uh, this game is, uh, you know, going to be in the early slate uh, here on Saturday. And, you know, th- it's, you know, Coach – uh, Western Kentucky uh, answer them as you know more in your neck of the woods. Uh, Western Kentucky uh, quarterback um, uh, Brandon Doty is having himself a year. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, he's three twenty-two of four forty-four. That's seventy-two percent. Uh, he's thrown for four thousand one hundred eighty-four yards, forty-two touchdowns, and six interceptions. So just take a minute, and let that sink in. That's wow. a seven-to-one touchdown-interception ratio. And completing yeah. 72% of his passes. That's ridiculous. And, and the main recipient of those passes is Taiwan Taylor. He's caught 71 of them for 1,191 yards. He scored 15 times. Um, 
I mean, it's 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 amazing. Like they and and he's able he's been able to spread the ball around. I mean, you have Nicholas Norris with four touchdowns, Jared Dangerfield with seven, uh, Tyler Hybe the tight end with eight. You know, you have Antoine Grant with six touchdowns. I mean, you know, he, he, he's he's sticking it around the bar, That's for sure. Yeah. And uh, Anthony Wales, the leading rusher, 128 carries for 928 yards. Um, he's averaging one, 103 yards per game, seven touchdowns. Not bad in an, in an all-out air raid attack. You know, that's not bad for, you know, for balance in that type of system that Tyson Helton runs up at Western Kentucky. Tyson Helton is the offensive coordinator. He's up for for number of uh, bigger-time offensive coordinator jobs that we'll get to here in a little bit. But, you know, I – I, I, you know, they can score in bunches. Um, you know, this is going to be one of those games where Southern Miss, the mustard buzzers, are going to have to keep up. I mean, you know, they're, you know, there might not be a whole lot of defense played in this game. Uh, that might just be kind of, you know, they're going, you know, Western's going to score, Southern Miss is going to score, Western's going to score again, Southern Miss is going to score again, and then it's going to go back and forth until, until the person with the last possession goes down, drives the field, and, and, and wins the game. But, um, you know, I, I think you're going to see, you know, this is going to be an exciting game to start the day off with because it's going to be an all-out offensive attack. And uh, and Southern Miss is going to have to – they're going to have to come with a good game plan offensively if they're going to want to keep up. I mean, they've got to put it back themselves and Nick Mullins. I mean, he's been pretty good. Yeah, I mean, there's not a whole lot of defenses that can stop – Western Kentucky, so he's going to have to have a big game for him if, if they want to if they want to give themselves a chance. Otherwise, this thing could get ugly in a hurry. Yeah, I mean Southern Miss, uh, their turnaround this year really started with a solid defense in conference play. 143 points allowed. That's the second best defense in conference. Uh, 269 allowed for the entire season. So. Um, you know, they might be able to, to slow Western Kentucky down a little bit. Um, one of their few common opponents was Marshall, the, the other really good team in the league. And Western Kentucky smoked them, and Southern Miss lost to them by three touchdowns. I think that favors Western Kentucky. I think playing at home favors Western Kentucky. And as impressive as this turnaround is, and I applaud the staff down there in Hattiesburg, I'm a little dubious that a team can go three and nine, one and seven in 2014, and then magically win the league the next year. That's a pretty big swing. So I'll ride with the Hilltoppers. Nice. Yeah, they're they're just. I, I don't I don't think Southern Miss is ready. I, I think they've done a tremendous job this year of turning things around. But I think they're at least one year away of one year away from really thinking they can compete. Excellent, excellent. Well, that's all the group of five, so we're going to now move on to the power five. And uh, with the power five, we're going to start down at the Georgia Dome, Coach, uh, your old stomping grounds, um, with Florida taking on Alabama. And one of the things, you know, that we said before the show started was that, you know, everyone expects Alabama to absolutely roll up on the Gators. So that means you know it's going to be a close game. Yeah, always – Typically is, um, and it could very well get it could very well get lopsided with Alabama. They they certainly have the capability with with Derrick Henry and and just kind of being op- opportunistic as, as they typically are. Um, this game could very well get out of hand. I don't think it will. 
I think the one thing Muschamp did a really good job of at, while he was at Florida was recruiting defensive talent. And that's kind of what's kept the Florida Gators in this whole thing. They they physically beat you up on defense, and and they just kind of get what they can get with their offense, which is really not much at this point. Um, so their defense ranks top ten nationally in total defense, passing defense, rushing defense, and scoring defense. All right, their their total defense is two eighty three yards per game. Passing is one seventy one point seven yards per game. Rushing defense is one hundred eleven point nine per game. And then their scoring defense, they're only allowing an average of fifteen and a half points. Um, but uh, you know, one of the matchups that that they've really kind of struggled with lately, and you know, all you got to do is look to a week ago with Florida State is is the, is the run game and elite running backs. I mean, you had hashtag year the running back with Dalvin Cook last week. You know, he kind of sort of went off. You know, he went off I think for a buck eighty if I remember correctly, and uh, you know, the the Crimson Tide bring this guy in. I don't know if you guys have heard of him, Derrick Henry. Um, He's only yeah he's, he's only right. yeah he he's only rushed for about six thousand yards so far um, this season. You know I feel like I feel like he's uh, I feel like he keeps rolling up two hundred two hundred yard games. But uh, you know the, the, their key obviously is going to be uh, do whatever you can to stop Derrick Henry force force the game into Jacob Coker's hands. For Alabama, I, I just think they you know they don't need to they don't need Jacob Coker to make huge plays. They just need him to be enough of a threat to where they have to respect it, where they can't load up the box. You know, if they if Alabama can force Florida into even a seven-man box, I, I think that they will get the matchups that they want. I think Ridley can, can really have a big game for Alabama. I think he can really, if they can get the ball into his hands um, in the seams, if they can get the ball into his hands on the perimeter on a bubble screen or a tunnel screen, I think he could really make Florida pay, especially if they load the box and go straight man. Um, I really think he can make them play, get some chunks of yardage, and open things up for for Derrick Henry. I mean, that's that's their whole offense. They're just they're just creating opportunities so Derrick Henry can carry the ball forty five times and uh, and dominate you. So uh, defensively, you know Alabama, you know they're Alabama. Kirby Smart, um, you know, has done a great job this year. With, the, with that front seven and really just taking advantage of what they can do well uh, with that defense. And, and they've really just given people fits. So um, I like what they're doing. I think this is going to be a close game for a while. Um, but I think once Alabama has a, a has a short lead, especially midway through the fourth quarter, I think you're going to kind of see Derrick Henry come in as the closer and it's going to be uh, – they're going to skip – they're going to score an insurance touchdown. It's good. The game, the game score is going to look a lot worse than the game actually unfolded because I think Bama's going to going to kind of pull away late and uh, and really just kind of ice the game with with Derrick Henry. So um, I like Bama to win. People think they're going to people think they're going to roll completely over Florida. Um, I don't think that's going to happen, um, but I do think they're going to win, and I, th- I think they're going to win by a score that looks a lot worse than the game actually is. Well, I'm one of those people who think that Alabama is going to roll tide. Um, I think it's going to play out almost identical as last year's game. Offensively challenged Missouri came in boasting a good defense and trying to hang their head on that, and they lost 42 to 13. So, uh, good luck, Florida. What's the over under on number of points the Gators score? Like three and a half? I was going to say six and a half, but like. <laughs> 
for, a, for like oh. actually like a, a legitimate one be like six and a half. Like, can they score a touchdown? I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know. I don't know if Treon Harris. I mean, they they have, you know. they have they have zero passing game. They, they they just they are completely lacking any passing game. You know, it's and so what? And so you can just, you can put like eight dudes in the box against them because you know he's not throwing it downfield. And plus, if they do, you know, they got Minka Fitzpatrick back there. You know he's gonna he's gonna pick everything off. Like, I, I I I don't know how Florida is you know even you know is you know even gonna cross the midfield in this game. I think the yeah. only way I think the only way Florida wins is they have to get enough drives to kick a bunch of long field goals, and then at some point get a special teams touchdown or at least a short field with a blocked kick or something. Um, I, think I, I, I think they have to go the, the old miss route and force, you know, four or five turnovers, picks, yeah. um, you know, put some pressure on Coker um, in, in the passing game and, you know, and, and hope for the best. And at this rate, I think Derrick Henry's just going to have to pull a hamstring or something if they want to have a chance. But it's going to be – it'll be an interesting game to watch, I think. Um, I'll turn it off at halftime if it's not – yeah, well, uh, I, I think that, you know, I, I fear that you'll be turning it off at halftime. Um, so, um, yeah, well, right. well, well, let's move on then to um, – I'll be drinking in a parking lot while it's on. Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, let, let's move to the game that, that has, uh, you know, the number one team in the country, um, the, the Clemson Tigers. They are taking on a top ten North Carolina team um, who also, you know, two teams that ran the table in conference this year. Um, this could be either a really great game or just another game where, where Clemson just beats um, a, an opponent that just doesn't have the same talent that they do. So, Coach, I mean, you, you are, you know, very familiar with this Clemson team. Um, are they are, are they getting to the point where they are kind of like last year's Florida State? They just haven't been tested by anyone? Well, no. I, hang on. No, I mean, I think they've been tested. Um, you know, they, they've won. An interesting stat is they've lost a turnover margin in six of their games this year, and they still finished 12-0. Which tells me, which tells me one thing. It tells me that they're resilient. Deshaun Watson is a special player because he can lead them into, he can get them into great situations, and he can kind of make up for that. They turned the ball over six times against South Carolina. I think. I think they got back two of them, so I think it was like minus four or something like that. But they turned the ball over a lot against South Carolina. They found a way to win by by double digits. So, um, they've been tested. I mean. They, they've been tested by Notre Dame, been tested by Florida State, been t- tested by NC State. They've been, you know, a game that by records doesn't look all that great. Um, South Carolina, South Carolina is all, plays them, always plays them tough. It's an in-state rival. You can, you know, you can never look at the records on that one. Georgia Tech is a game that they've had this tr- huge gorilla on their back that they needed to get off. So that was a game that they – were able to exercise some demons, a game that's usually tough for them. Um, and then a couple of uh, unexpected challenges like uh, Syracuse. Um, Syracuse is the one that really jumps out. I mean, they were on the, you know, they were on the road at Syracuse, and you know they just kind of let them hang around. So they had the propensity to uh, 
you know, to kind of let teams hang around by, uh, by not being as careful with the ball as they need to be. Um, but if Deshaun Watson's on, which I think he will be, um, they shouldn't have any problem because I think the talent gap is, is a little bit wide in this game. Um, defensive side of the ball, you have Shaq Lawson with eight and a half sacks. He leads the country with 20 and a half tackles for loss. Um, the Tigers have allowed 25 points per game in their last five. So, you know, a lot of that's due to short fields and stuff like that. That number would be a lot lower um, had they not turned the ball over as frequently as they have. Um, you know, he has 3,000, you know, Deshaun Watson, 3,000 yards passing, 750 yards rushing. He's the only player in the country that, that has that. He's completed 70% of his passes. That's third best in the nation. Wayne Gallman, 1,100 yards, nine touchdowns. Um, I mean, you have talent all over the place. Um, yeah, you know, he has plenty of targets to throw to. I just think this this thing is, uh, you know, talent wise, you could you could look at it and say, well, talent wise, Clemson's going to wipe the floor with North Carolina. But um, you know, you look at North Carolina, albeit not stars that jump out of the page on you. But they have guys that play really well, like Marquise Williams. Um, he's had a tremendous season. Elijah Hood, um, he's had 12, 1,200 yards and 16 touchdowns. He's been a huge factor in the run game. But the only thing I worry about with North Carolina is we worry about Clemson not being tested. But I don't think North Carolina has been tested nearly as much as Clemson has been. So, um, you know, you got to look at that and, 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 see, and be concerned with North Carolina and their chances of winning. So um, they've played two FCS teams this year. So, you know, you got to look at that and, and with caution, but yeah, I mean, be, you know, the, the, well, I, I want to know the two FCS there. FCS teams though is that they they were backed out on last second and just needed a game to fill. So yeah, I mean, I, I understand the circumstances, but it doesn't change the fact that they weren't challenged. No, well, I want to I want to play devil's advocate because I've been studying North Carolina's resume. So they beat Pitt, Duke, Miami, Virginia Tech, NC State. Three of those games on the road, all five are going to bowl games. Clemson beat Louisville, Notre Dame, Miami, NC State, and Florida State. All five are going to a bowl. They've beaten the same amount of bowl teams. They've beaten the same amount of teams on the road of those three. You know, three of those five on road games. So they're a lot more similar than you think. What what makes me worried is I'm not sure – if it's disinterest or they're finally getting exposed, but coach, you brought up the close calls Clemson has had. I don't like when teams just try and flip the switch at the end. I think North Carolina is more tested because of those five bowl games, three of uh, four of them, five of them, all five are their last five games of the year. So they're coming in with a tougher schedule here at the end and the ACC title game is super, duper wacky. It's only been played since 2005, and in that time, three upsets by ranking, a game that went into overtime where the top 10 team barely beat a 25th-ranked team, a unranked Georgia Tech team gave Florida State all they could handle in 2012, and Georgia Tech almost upset the Knowles last year. This is a game that seems to favor wackiness. Um, oh, yeah. I'm, not, I'm not sure North Carolina is going to win, but they're going to be a dogfight. And I would say, crazy as this is, with all the injuries Notre Dame has had, 
this might actually be the toughest test Clemson's had. Yeah, I'm going to still stand by the fact that Florida State is the toughest test that they've had, but um, here's the deal with Clemson. If they take care of the football, if Wayne Gallman doesn't fumble, if Deshaun Watson doesn't fumble or throw interceptions, if they win the turnover margin, even if they do turn it over once or twice, if they win the turnover margin, they will win this game, no doubt. They're, they're, the talent on the roster heavily favors them that if they just go out and take care of the little things and take care of business, they don't have to do anything spectacular. They don't have to have some e- elaborate game plan. I think if they just go out, do what they do, take care of the football, I think they win this game. All right, if North Carolina can come out, win the turnover margin, make a big play in special teams, you know, and just kind of disrupt and, and hit Deshaun Watson as much as they possibly can, they will give themselves a chance and they can they can they can win this game. It's crazier things have happened. But I, I just think that, you know, all Clemson has to do is take care of the ball because of the I, I think they you know, I think their talent – I think the talent gap is not necessarily with the skill players. I think their skill players match up pretty well. I think it's in the interior. I think it's with the linemen. I think it's with the defensive linemen especially, um, especially Shaq Lawson. I, I, I don't think there's an offensive lineman. I love Shaq Lawson, Coach. I, I do. I really do. I, I You know, he's – there's not a, there's not a lot of offensive linemen that can really you know, block. You, you, he's not perhaps related to Manny Lawson, the former NC State uh, outside linebacker defensive end, is he? I don't think so. Okay, John, I don't think so. J- I was just out of curiosity, but um, you know, either you guys are uh, bold enough to you know step out on a limb and say that Tar Heels are going to win this one. I'm going to say Clemson. Uh, I think they take care of the ball. I think Deshaun Watson scores another four touchdowns. I think every time he scores four touchdowns, they they automatically win, no matter what the other team does. I, you know, I'm going to stand by my Deshaun Watson Player of the Year uh, prediction, and he's gonna he's gonna win it and solidify it this weekend. All right. Josh? I would be more inclined to pick North Carolina if Marquise Wilson or Williams wasn't such Jekyll and Hyde. 18 touchdowns, 8 interceptions, 23 picks on his career. I've seen him have some fumbles. Uh, that makes me a little nervous to put my money where my mouth is. All right. Well, um, yeah, I'm, uh, I'm with you guys. I would be – it's tempting, but it would also be too nerve-wracking for me to take the Tar Heels here. So let's move out west um, to, uh, to, uh, to Santa Clara, where the Pac-12 title game uh, will pit the USC Trojans, um, the winners of the really um, just – weird South division in the Pac-12 versus the Stanford Cardinal, um, who are the favorite and who beat uh, USC earlier, um, you know, earlier in the season, really put it on them in Los Angeles that actually pretty much uh, led to Sark being fired. So this is now actually a completely different SC team that is heading up uh, to Santa Clara, to the 49ers, uh, Levi's Stadium, the big bell bottom is Berman affectionately and sometimes ridiculously calls it. And um, I was wondering how he could how he could uh, come up with a name like that. Yeah, well, don't get Bill Simmons started on on the big bell bottom. But, um, <laughs> but let's uh, let's move to the game itself. Um, you know, do you, uh, Josh? Do you think we're going to see a repeat of what we saw earlier this year in the Coliseum, or is this going to be? Um, you know, or is this going to be a, a much tighter game? 
Oh, it's going to be a much tighter game. And as much as I love Stanford, <clears throat> I said, I can't remember if it was on the show or on the blog, but I said at some point that no one in the North wants to have to replay USC. No. So I am not a chance. Yeah, I am going to put some skin in the game and say the Trojans get the massive upset. I don't think Ooh. it's a massive upset. Uh, I uh, I mean I, I don't think I don't think you can call it a massive upset when you know the I mean a USC you know according to the. Um, you know, according at least to ESPN's prediction, um, has USC as a 51.5% uh, favorite. On oh, the- wait, wait, wait. Their computer has that? Yeah. Oh, then give me Stanford, because that computer's been wrong, like, almost every time I've seen them quote something from it. And Stanford's only a four-and-a-half-point favorite, so I don't think you yeah. can have a massive upset. Okay, so, well, based on knowing what the FPI says, uh, Stanford's now going to win the game by, like, three touchdowns. <laughs> the computer. Yeah, the, the, the computer. I, mean, I, I, feel, they I keep think- quoting that thing, and I've never seen it get anything right. Well, don't, don't, well, we're going to ignore the computer and, and go to uh, a little bit more old school uh, talking here, I guess, about uh, about the game and you know say what our eyes actually see and not what some numbers say. Um, and my eyes say that this Stanford team um, is, you know got 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 a shot in the arm when you know w- when they played Oregon and Oregon really really showed up in that game. Um, it was good to see Stanford win. Josh and I, you, actually, you and I watched, uh, you know, the majority of the Notre Dame-Stanford game together last week. Um, and it was, you know, it, it was a tight one, but it was good to see Stanford win. Uh, that was a really, t- you know, that, that was a, 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 you know, nip and tuck kind of game. Yeah, the, the women we were with at that bar seemed thrilled by our oh, choice. They were, they, they were so thrilled that we were, you know, that we – you know, uh, made them stay until the actual field goal at the end <laughs> was kicked when they wanted to go home. So, you know. Um, it's not like they had an air, a plane to catch in the morning or anything. I mean, come on. No. no. It's crazy. You guys, you guys are so nice. Yeah. <laughs> we're, 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 we're proper gentlemen is what we yeah. are. Um, <laughs> it, the, the game to me is going to come down to Stanford's offensive line, and if they can get to the second level uh, – uh, to block, you know, Sua Cravens and the rest of the uh, and the rest of the linebackers on this really talented USC team. If they can do that, they'll open up big enough holes for Christian McCaffrey to scoot through and get into the second level. Once he's in the second level, you know, he can make guys miss. But if he's getting popped, you know, at the line of scrimmage, behind the line of scrimmage, uh, you know, they're going to be in for a long day. Yeah, I, I think the scary part about USC is since Clay Helton's took over. Uh, and since he's been named, and and I I'm glad that he was named the permanent head coach, and I can get into that now. Um, I can get into that later, but um, they've they've since found an identity. I think uh, they've outrushed their opponents in all seven games since he's taken over for Sark. Um, Justin Davis gained 130 yards on 25 carries uh, against UCLA last week. That was his second straight. Um, his emergence, you know, is just another weapon for USC. Uh, Cody Kessler, and he's well known for for his passing game. Uh, USC with Juju Smith-Schuster, 
and uh, the passing attack with, you know, and, and two-way player Adderie Jackson. And they just got a lot of weapons everywhere. They're a scary team right now, and they've got a lot of confidence in themselves. They play, you know, they you saw them two weeks ago, just absolutely seal club Oregon. Um, and then a week ago with UCLA, um, they're just they're just – they're playing like the U.S. They're playing like the USC team that we thought they were going to be in our preseason preview. Talent all over the all over the place. I thought I thought they were going to be a playoff team this year. I thought they were going to be a team that won the Pac-12. They still have a chance to do that. Unfortunately, they're eight and four at this point um, with all that talent. But you know, I think the right guys leading the program now. I think they've. <clears throat> I think that their biggest struggle was finding that identity, and I think they've kind of found it. Um, you know, defensively, you have Cameron Smith, Pac-12 freshman defensive player of the year. He's made a huge impact on that side of the ball, an impact that, you know, with seeing all those other talented players, you think he would just kind of be a guy in there that made a few tackles here and there. But he's really been he's really been a force in that linebacking core. Sue Cravens also. Um, I say all of this to say that the defensive front has its work cut out for them against Stanford. Stanford sees some blood in the water. Um, they have they have slim hopes of the playoffs, especially if North Carolina beats Clemson. They still have a chance to get voted in, uh, whether we agree with it or not. Um, it's you know it's going to be one of those things. So I think Christian McCaffrey is going to have a big game, but I'm going to go out on a limb here, and hopefully it doesn't snap and I, I don't fall down and break my arm, but. Uh, I think USC is going. I think USC is going to win this game. I think they're going to have some big plays in the in the running game with Justin Davis. I think Kessler is going to have a big day as well. Adderi Jackson is going to make a big play in special teams. And I think USC is just they're on a hot streak right now, and I, I think they're going to make all the plays that they need to make. I think Stanford. I think Stanford. It's going to be probably one of the more entertaining games of, of the of the day. Um, but I, I think USC. I'm going on a limb. But well, U.S. going to beat Stanford. Well, well, I'm going to do something that I've done multiple times whenever we talked about this Trojan team, and that's blow some smoke up Cody Kessler's butt. Uh, I mean, let's be honest. At 8-4, and four, his Heisman Trophy candidacy is done, but his stats are insane. 27 touchdowns, six picks, over 3,000 yards passing, and – he was brilliant in all their losses, but the Washington game, which who knows where their heads were at. That was the last game of Sark. That was the game he was accused of of coming too drunk. So who knows what was going on in that game. But against the Stanford team, 25 of 32, 272, three touchdowns, no pick, an adjusted QBR of 95.3. So he can shred up. The Stanford defense. That's why I like the Trojans. Well, then I guess uh, I guess if you guys are both out on that out of that branch, if I go out there too, it's going to snap. Um, You're picking the you Cardinal, got, huh? Oh yeah, I'm taking the Cardinal. I'm taking this to be the push that gets Christian McCaffrey over the hump into the into New York. Uh, for the for the Heisman Trophy presentation, not saying he's going to win it, but I think he gets. I, I think he's got 250, 300 all-purpose yards in him this game, uh, in, in in a higher scoring affair. Seeing game probably in the 
probably upper 30s, you know, 38-35 kind of game with uh, McCaffrey coming through in a big way on, you know, not just on offense, but also uh, especially in the return game. We, you know, I, I really expect to see a lot out of him. So, uh, you know. I, I, I got a question for you, Matt. What's like the, what's the vibe in L.A.? Are people going to make this trip? It, it, the game is in the Bay Area-ish, Santa Clara a little bit south of it, but kind of the Bay Area. But Stanford's a smaller school, smaller fan base. Uh, it, it, what's the crowd dynamic going to be? Is, my sense is that people aren't traveling up there because it's not really, you know, if they win, what do they get? You know, they're not going to New York New Year's Six Bowl. Um, well, they'll be locked into the Rose Bowl, won't they? As well, they'll be locked to the Rose, so they don't have to go anywhere to see the team again um, <laughs> in the Rose Bowl. They just have to travel out to Pasadena um, and not all the way up to Santa Clara. And, you know, I think there's also enough of a USC alumni base up in the Bay Area that, you know, that they'll, they'll definitely have a, a strong presence up there. I don't, you know, from what I've heard, aren't, there aren't a ton of people traveling up there um, uh, for, for the game. I think that, um, you know, it's, it, it's on people's minds, but all the people talking right, about right now is Kobe. So, and, <laughs> and, and uh, we, we don't talk Kobe on this podcast. So, wait, um, wait, wait. Mason and Ireland are talking about Kobe. I, I'm stunned. I've never heard them talk about that before. Uh, I, I'm shocked. Shocked. <laughs> shocked to see gambling going on in this bar. Uh, so, uh, we're going to move on now to the final of the games this, uh, this weekend. And uh, the most important one, the you will be in the house, Josh, which obviously makes it the most important game of the weekend, um, where your Iowa Hawkeyes, the 12-0 and 0 Iowa Hawkeyes, yeah. defeated Big Ten West champion, um, uh, not the juggernaut, it's Iowa Hawkeyes, yeah. uh, taking on the Spartans of Michigan State. No, I mean, this season was never really in doubt. This is what everyone figured would happen. We just run a machine. Yeah. Uh, obviously, well, that that machine produces some really great linemen, and you're going to need that against Michigan State, who has a ferocious defensive line led by Shalit Calhoun. Um, so, I mean, well, I, it's I, funny you it's funny you bring that up because I did a kind of a position breakdown today on the blog, um, and I was playing some freshmen. They've had some injuries along that line. And I'm giving the edge to Michigan State on the line. Um, I think Iowa can still run the ball because they use fullbacks. And they'll find ways to manufacture yeah, they, some they'll, running they'll yards. Yeah, tight ends in there. Yeah, where I think that defensive line advantage will come in is when Iowa drops back to pass. Um, Bethert's going to have to be on his game. Uh, the, the one interesting thing that I wanted to bring up to you guys is – the uh, special teams battle. And I think that we would all agree. We're kind of old school football people. We would say that you need to be sound in the kicking game, right? Yes. I would certainly hope so. Okay. So Iowa's special team efficiency is 47%. They're 37th in punt return yards, 104th in kick returns, uh, 51st in net punting. They've missed five extra points which is 119th in extra point percentage at 90% and 13 of 17 from field goals. That's not too hot. No. MSU is worse. <laughs> what? They're 104th in the nation with 40.3% special teams efficiency. 
They, they've, they've, had, they've won games on two big special teams. Um, they've missed two extra points. They're nine, they're nine of 14 on field goals. They are 122nd in the nation in kick returns. And my favorite stat, 123rd in the nation in punt return yards with 28 yards on the season. Well, so, so, as long, uh, as long as Iowa can protect, either a lot of fair catches going on, or um, I, I think what's what's most amazing to me about that statistic is they've only attempted 14 field goals in 12 games. Yeah, who does that? Um, who does that? Well, they're, they're kicking, they're, well, their kicker Michael Geiger, he hit the one in Columbus, but the word on him early in the season was. He was just missing everything in practice. They kind of, he kind of had the yips, and they were kind of afraid to kick. So it's it's strange, but yeah. When I was writing up my my breakdown, I broke down you know Iowa O line versus their D line, the rushing game versus the running defense, and then flipped it. So uh, and then special teams, I package deal. I had seven categories. I had MSC with an advantage in four of the seven. By the way. Um, Special teams matchup of the night, Josh, is Iowa's punt protection versus Michigan State's punt block. Yeah, it's got yeah. to I mean, Well, hey, as an Iowa fan, if it comes down to a blocked punt, that means we've kept it competitive. So I will – I'll stand by that. Um, I, I just think that Michigan State does such a good job of taking, out, taking advantage of teams' mistakes – Seems like whenever they get a short field, they punch it in for seven, um, and that's that's kind of a scary thing. But at the same time, Iowa does a very good job of controlling the ball, so that you know I don't see Iowa tripping over themselves as much. But I'm going to have Michigan State win the game 28-20 with uh, an Iowa missed point after they you know they got to do it. They've, they've missed five on the year somehow. <laughs> well, here, here's a stat. Uh... The Hawkeyes and Spartans are tied for the Big Ten in both takeaways and turnover margins. They both have 25 takeaways, and they both come in with a plus 14 turnover margin. That's pretty impressive as far as being able to provide opportunities for your offense to get short fields. I think both teams have done a tremendous job at that. I think, you know, Connor Cook is going to uh, need to have a big game here. Um, He's had plenty of them. I think he's finally fully healthy. Um, you know, Aaron Burbridge is going to be the, the likely the key recipient, 75 catches already for 1,158 yards. He scored seven times. Um, you know, th- those two, I think, can, can really get some things going or they're going to need to uh, if they want to win. Michigan State, oddly enough, their run game, I don't want to say it's non-existent because it has to be somewhat good for Connor Cook to – to have as much success as he's had. But, you know, I, I don't think their run game is anywhere near uh, being, you know, being the complete feature of, of this team. So, you know, they're going to have to chip in some with their run game. They're going to – their defense is going to have to give them opportunities. And um, I, I think that they can give themselves a chance. Uh, Iowa. That is probably, yeah, I mean, I'm glad you brought that up, Coach. That's probably Iowa's best advantage in the game. Um, MSU 80th in the country, four yards per play, L.J. Scott leading rusher barely over 600 yards, and Iowa's seventh in the nation in rush defense. Um, mm-hmm. so, so if you're looking for reasons for the upset, 
you know, you, you can do the old classic, Iowa's run defense makes them one-dimensional. Connor Cook has an off day. You know, they're, they're, you can see an upset. You know, I know Paul Feinbaum said that Iowa had no chance in the game. I, I don't buy that. But I, I will give people that, on paper, Michigan State is the better team. I don't buy a whole yeah. lot of what Paul Feinbaum says, so I wouldn't worry about that yeah. too much. And I, I wouldn't consider, if Iowa won, I wouldn't consider it an upset. I think this is more even than people are thinking. Iowa's 12-0. Well, the funny thing you is – give some credit. you got to give some credit there. They're 12-0. Yeah. Well, the funny thing is when they announced the, the rankings and Iowa was still ahead of Michigan State, texted to my dad, I was like, if we're the higher-ranked team, that means we're the home team, right? He's like, I think so. Why? I was like, because that means we'll be rocking our black jerseys and hopefully they'll get the people at Lucas Oil to play our ACDCs back in black when we take the field. Who fires us up? All right. Yeah. Uh, for for C.J. Beathard, he's just got to take care of the football, be efficient, avoid mistakes like he's done all year long. Uh, Jordan Canizari needs to do what he does. Um you know, he's almost got a thousand yards and he missed some time with a midseason ankle injury, Josh. He's one of he's become one of my favorite hashtag year of the running backs yeah. running for uh you know for the season. I, I always like you know, I, there's not a whole lot of Iowa games that that are shown here. Um you know, I catch the occasional one on the Big Ten network. You don't have um, the Hawkeye network on your satellite package? I don't. I don't. I, I didn't. I didn't spring for it. I, I ran. I ran out. Uh, but um, I always like seeing Kanazari on uh, on the on the highlights. Just just watching him, and all of a sudden they go. And in the Iowa game, and I'm saying, okay, it's Jordan Kanazari busting a 60 yard. And, and you know what it is? It's Jordan Kanazari with that stretch play that they run. And absolutely. Uh, and it's that's, they, that's their bread and butter outside zone. Yeah, that outside zone play is just – it's huge for them. And Kanziri seems to get at least 8, 10 yards every time they run it. So I don't know why they'd ever stop. Uh, yeah, they probably don't. That's why he's, that's why that's their bread and butter. Uh, those linemen are uh, – those linemen are, are – it's a thing of beauty when, when a team is really good at running that stretch play because what you see is all five offensive linemen in unison take their reach steps and, and, and get their guys. Yeah, you know, it, well, I think it's fair to point out why Iowa's running game does look so much better is uh, Kirk hired his son, Brian Ferentz, who was by far his best player as a son, um, who got a little time in the NFL, was with the Patriots uh, as a coach for a little bit. He came back. He's the offensive line coach and the run game coordinator and really, really helping take the load off Greg Davis, who now can focus on the quarterback and, and the passing game. And you've seen a marked improvement. Um, there's a lot of speculation in Iowa City that whenever Greg Davis retires, uh, Brian might get the call to be the OC. And there's some fans who are even saying, hey, if this thing keeps working out, let's just keep it in family and have Brian eventually become the coach. Who knows if that'll happen, but you know, hats off to Brian Ferentz for – for really returning Iowa's running game to, to something that can be relied on where the last, you know, two, three, four years it's been a little erratic. 
Well, Josh, it's actually a beautiful transition because we're gonna we're about to move into uh, part two of the pod where we talk about all of the coaching movement. And since we even started recording, uh, we've got a new hire. Memphis hired Arizona State offensive coordinator Mike Norville, um, and uh, so that we'll have to be talking about that here in a little bit. The baby Bluetooths. Uh, what's that? Baby Bluetooths. <laughs> baby Bluetooths. <laughs> So, um, but uh, first, I'm going to do a quick gambling recap uh, from the year. So, our our winner with batting batting 600 on the year, Coach Corey, finishing at 36 and 24. Yeah. Uh, right behind him, Josh at uh, 569, 37 and 20. We're not doing we're not doing bowls of these games. Uh, we'll, we'll do bowls. We'll, we'll, we'll do bowls later. We're not going to do these games. We oh, okay. Um, we'll, we'll, we will be doing a, a bowl mega, a, a bowl mega gamble though, um, where we where, where we pick all the bowls, all eighty of them, or however many darn bowls there are these days. No, no there's only forty one. Yeah, oh, okay, only forty one. Um, and then uh, I, I pulled up the rear uh, at five oh eight, so just over five hundred. Um, so. Josh and Corey both in the money um, at over 55%. So uh, very well done to both of you on that. So um, we got to get to the coaching carousel. Well, we had to split this one into a two-parter because our conversation about the coaching carousel and all of the big moves that have happened so far this season took us an awful long time. So too long for just one pod, so we split it into two. So make sure you check out part two in your podcast feed. Thanks for listening to the Illegal Motion College Football Podcast. To get in touch with the show, email us at illegalmotionpodcast at gmail.com or follow us on Twitter at illegal underscore motion. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.